Welcome to SCD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. We'll make sure you guys get signed up for that. So um, she talked about rooted. And this weekend, I am going to, uh, this is like the point of the message today. I don't even know if it's a message as much as it's a sales pitch. Is for you to get signed up for rooted this weekend. Okay, so we do this twice a year. And this is the weekend in which we try to get everybody to sign up. And, uh, and so I'm going to tell you why you need to do rooted. Now, if you don't know what rooted is, uh, it's a 10-week program that we do here. And what you do is you, you get signed up. And then for 10 weeks in a row, you're going to meet with a group of people. And you're going to go through this uh, curriculum. And if you've done it before, you know what it is, and you can continue to go on. So we have multiple sessions that you can do. And it is one of the things that has changed our church the most. Uh, probably, I don't know, probably ever, really, is it has changed the, uh, the spiritual temperature of our church. And if you have been through it, you know someone who's been through it, you know that this is true. And so we just really, really, really want to get you to sign up for Rooted. And so today I'm going to give you some reasons why um, the Bible says to sign up for Rooted. It doesn't actually say that, but it does say something about being around uh, God's people and being in strong community. And so we're going to be uh, looking at some verses that they talk about. But, but in the back of your mind, I want you to be thinking, this is why I should sign up for Rooted. Okay? <laughs> You're not convinced yet. We'll get there. So what, we're, what I want to do is I want to look at a, a couple passages by um, Solomon. If you don't know anything about Solomon, he was... Uh, King David's son, and he was the wisest man ever to live up until Jesus. And he gives all of these sayings, and it's in the book of Proverbs, and it's sayings about wise living. And some of the areas that he talks about, and he kind of hits a, a bunch of different areas of life, but he talks about relationships and friendships. And I wanted to look at some of the insight that he has about how we can um, live wisely by surrounding ourselves with the right people. So Proverbs thirteen twenty says this, walk with the wise and become wise. Now you might be thinking, all right, that's not super profound. Like, is that all that you have to do to get in the Bible is write something like that? Okay, I could probably do it. Um, but what he's getting at here is he, he's talking about this idea that life is kind of, uh, kind of like a journey. So he's using this metaphor. We use a metaphor around here. We got it from a, a business book many years ago. And it's life is like a road trip. And we're all like on this bus together heading somewhere. And so that's the analogy that I want to use. That's the one I'm most familiar with is, okay, we're all on a bus you have your own bus, I have my own bus, and we're all on a journey. I don't care if you're a Christian, not a Christian, believe in God, don't believe in God. You are on a journey. You're heading towards a destination. And on this bus, you're surrounded by different people. And you can put people on the bus, or you can kick people off the bus. Hopefully, you're not running over too many people with the bus. But you have a bus, and you're going somewhere. And so the question he asked initially is, who's on the bus with you? Who's on the bus? If you're married, your spouse is on the bus with you. If you have kids, they're on the bus. Unless you don't like one of them, you can kick them off the bus. But you, you get the idea. You have different people on the bus. And his first thing that he asks is, well, who's on the bus with you? Who's headed towards this destination? Who is on the journey with you? 
And so uh, if you travel with wise people, he says that you are going to become more wise. Seems kind of obvious, and you probably know this to be true, is if you think back to the biggest um, wins that you've had in your life, the successes, you probably could pinpoint a person that was pivotal in that decision or in those circumstances. And so I think about the people that have most impacted my life, and I think about my mom and my dad. I think about my wife. And this last week, I was really reflecting on uh, just the last 15 years of my life when Amy and I met each other. We started dating and then got married, um, I think about how much she has just shaped who I am in such a, a much better direction than I was heading. Like if I think about Cody as a 16, 17-year-old and where he was heading and the habits that he was developing and the attitude and the outlook, it was going to end very, very badly. And then I think about when I met Amy and how she began to help shape the way that not only I viewed the world, but I viewed myself and I related to God. And man, that had a huge impact on my life. And it's true for you. You can pick a different category of your life. Maybe it's your, your career. Uh, maybe it's your parenting. Maybe it's your faith. But you probably had some cr crucial, pivotal relationships along the way that helped you, um, help you become a better person, a more wise person. And so what he says here is, he says, you're going to be like the people that you surround yourself with. And we know this as parents. If you're a parent, this is why you monitor who your kids hang out with all the time. Because you go, uh-uh, you're not hanging out with them. I see what they wear to school. That's not going to happen. Uh-uh, I see their attitude. I've seen what they post on social media. That's not the type of people that you're going to hang out with. Because we know that they are going to be shaped by the people they hang out with. Well, for some reason, we don't think this applies to us as adults. We go, well, I go out, outgrew that. You know, I'm not shaped by the people I hang out with. I'm independent. I'm my own person. We'll see about that. Okay. So what he says here is he says, get the right people on the bus. Surround yourself with wise people. Now, I want to go a little bit deeper than that because what this assumes is, this assumes that you and I know who the right people are, who the wise people are to have on the bus with us. And I don't think that we should assume that. I think that a lot of that depends on what you think the point of the journey is. Where are you heading? What is the destination? Because that's going to determine who you're going to put on the bus with you. So secular culture would say, well, there actually isn't like an ultimate ending point. There's not a destination. Really, the point is the journey itself. Life is a journey. Enjoy it. I don't know what happens after this. Maybe there's nothing after this life. Maybe there's something. But don't worry about that. Just enjoy the journey as we travel together. And so if that's what you believe about the world, you're going to put different people on the bus with you. You're going to get people who you just, you like getting along with, you have fun, they're exciting, you enjoy the same things because it's about the journey. I think of the secular culture version of this as like a party bus. You ever seen a party bus before? They're like usually, they're usually big, black, blacked out windows and you can see little flashes of lights that are happening in there. There's some dancing, maybe some drinks. I don't know what's happening in there. I've never been in one myself. I'm sure you haven't either. But there's these party buses, and everybody just piles on here, and it's not going anywhere. That's the craziest part. It will pick you up and drop you off at the same place. You're getting on a bus headed to nowhere. That's kind of how people view life is, I don't know, you know. I don't really know where we're going. It's all kind of meaningless, but we're just going to have a good time on the bus together. And so that's how we start to determine who the right people are on the bus for us. And the image that came to mind, and maybe this is just a generational thing, but it's probably the movie that, and I'm embarrassed to say this, has shaped me the most uh, in my life as far as movies go. It's called Dumb and Dumber. 
<laughs> I know, I know, it's bad. I caught myself this week just how profoundly it has impacted my life by how many quotes I can give from that movie. I watched this side note. I watched a, a little mini documentary about two guys who tried to recreate the scene where they ride the mini bike from, I think it's like Kansas to, to Aspen. Amazing. Check it out on YouTube. Anyway, <laughs> totally not the point. So they're taking this journey. They're taking this road trip in that the bus that they're on is a, a dog van. <laughs> it's fantastic. And so they're in this dog van and they are headed to a destination, but they don't really have a guide, a filter with who should be on the journey with them. And so whenever they would see somebody on the side of the road that looked like they would be kind of fun and entertaining, they would be like, pick them up, you know? And so they just pick them up and then mock, yeah, birdie. Okay, so you remember the scene. And I think that's how a lot of people go through life is they're just going along in this journey and they see somebody and go, well, do they look like fun? We should hang out with them for a while. Let's party. Pick them up, you know? No, that is a, that is a horrible way to decide who is going to be on the bus with you. Here's what I think is a better way. I think that... The core of good friendships is about direction, not disposition. It's about direction, not disposition. So let me illustrate what I mean. And I've used this illustration a few times, but I think it works. The way that we decide who we're going to be in relationship with is, imagine there's someone standing here, as we look at one another, and this is how we decide uh, romantic relationships too, as we look at one another and we go, you're so funny. No, you're funny. I love your outfit. We're into the same things. We should hang out. And we look at each other and we go, this is, this, we're made for each other. The problem with that is, it becomes, the relationship is, is performative. It's consumer. It's based on what can you give me and what can I give you. <clears throat> and if you stop giving me those things, then we're not going to be friends anymore. The relationship is over. I think a better foundation for relationships is not that we look at one another and we go, ooh, I like you, you like me, let's hang out. No, it's shoulder to shoulder, and we're both looking at the future, and we have a common love, a common goal, a vision for where we're headed. And we say, okay, we're on this journey together as we're heading towards that goal. See, that, that I think is a better foundation because it's not dependent upon if you can provide the things that I like about you to me. It's about where are we heading? Are we heading in that same direction? And if we are, yeah, we're going to want to enjoy each other's company along the way, but it's really about this common vision, this common goal that we have. That's what the biblical view is, is. The biblical view is not that we're just on this journey, it's random, it's meaningless, we don't know where it's going to end up, and so let's just have fun. The biblical vision is that you are headed in a, a direction, that there is an end goal, that there is a destination in mind, and this destination is about coming into a relationship with your God, having this relationship where you get to know Him, and He gets to know you, and you worship Him, and then eventually you get to spend eternity with Him, and you want to bring as many people along that journey as you can. See, that's a destination. That's an end point. The journey isn't the point. It's where we're headed to that is the point. And so if my goal is to pursue Christ, that's where my ultimate aim is. I'm going to find other people who also are trying to pursue Christ as well. Continues on and he says, for a companion of fools suffers harm. So if it's true of hanging out with wise people, it's also true of hanging out with foolish people. Just like when you think about your biggest successes in life, and it has somebody who is probably crucial or, or uh, um, important in that journey, it's also true that when you think about your biggest regrets in life, the mistakes that when you think about, you just, oh, inside you cringe a little bit. That if we were to put on this screen, maybe we wouldn't put it on the screen, but if we were to talk about it, you would go, oh, and there is a person or there is a group of people that if I hadn't been surrounded by them, 
I probably wouldn't have ended up there. Because the things that I, I always thought were wrong, when we started to hang out, it didn't seem like a big deal any longer. All the things that were out of bounds now becomes a possibility. The things that I was never tempted to do, all of a sudden I'm tempted to do. And I can hear the pushback. Okay, Cody, that's great. We're not a youth group, though, okay? We're not a bunch of kids. I'm strong. I know my beliefs. I know I can withstand the temptation. I have outgrown all of those things. And you might be right. You you might be right. You may not be tempted by any of these. You can hang out with the most foolish people in the world, and you do not feel tempted to do any of the things that they're doing. But notice that Solomon doesn't say how we will be harmed. He just says that we will be harmed when we hang out with foolish people. See, I think by hanging out with people who are are foolish, we're not immune to the collateral damage when their life blows up. It's sort of like being in a car with a drunk driver. Oh, I haven't been drinking. I'm not breaking the law. I'm not doing anything wrong. Yes, but you're in the car and he's driving and he's drunk. What do you think is going to happen? You may not be at fault. You're not the fool, but you're foolish for being in the journey with them. Continues on in Proverbs 18, 24, he says this, A man of many companions may come to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. It's almost as if Solomon looked into the future a few thousand years and said, one day there will be this thing called social media. And people will have so many friends on there. And yet they will not know any of them well. I would imagine if you were sitting here, you would say, now what good is it to have all of these friends, all of these followers, and yet you don't have any depth or any real relationships with any of them? Because at some point, life is going to get tough. You know, something is going to happen. It's just inevitable. Now, what do you think is going to help you in that moment? Do you think it's one more like on Instagram that's going to go, you know what, my life was falling apart, but that like really got me through the day? No. It's going to be people who know you, who are doing life with you, who come over and help you put the pieces back together and say, okay, we're going to do this together. We're not going to, you know what, we're going to walk with you through this next season. He says this, he says, a friend that is closer than a brother. He says, that's what we really need. And in this context, it's, it's even bigger than, than it would be in our context because the sibling relationship is even closer than a, a spouse. Is because these are the people that you depend on. These are the people that are going to help you be able to survive in life. And so when he says that there is a friend who is even closer than that, he's painting this picture of what friendship could be. And then he goes and explains why. He says in Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. So he makes this differentiation between the two. He says there are friends and there are family. Now, hopefully there are family that are also your friend. They can be both, but not necessarily. And so we have family. And family are, is the people that, the, the family that you were born into. And these people, by and large, will have your back. If something goes wrong and they live on the other side of the country, they're going to fly in and they're going to support you. They're going to help you out. But here's the difference. They may not actually like you. No, I know. I know. This isn't your family. But do you ever get the feeling that if we weren't related, we wouldn't hang out? Like, have you ever felt that before? I've never felt that. I know my sister hasn't felt that. Um, But have you ever maybe thought that before or, or seen that before? Is, okay, I got your back. I love you. I will always have your back. However, we're not friends. (laughs) You know, like, hopefully you're an adult and you don't express it like that, but when you were a teenager, you most definitely did. You're like, look, I will beat up anyone who picks on you, but just don't acknowledge me at school, okay? (laughs) We're not friends. But 
He says there's, there's this friendship that is even closer than the sibling relationship or the family relationship, and hopefully it's both. But he says, these people have chosen to be in a relationship with you. They weren't forced. They weren't born into this. These are people who have chosen to walk through life with you, that are consistent, that are there for the highs and the lows. He says, this is the kinds of relationships that we need to develop. Proverbs 27, 9 the heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. Proverbs 15:22 plans fail for a lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. We talked about making poor decisions and what's weird about poor decisions is very rarely when you're making a poor decision do you go this is going to oh, I'm going to regret this so bad later. Okay, sometimes we do that. But it makes sense to us in the moment. The reason why we do it is because we think this is probably going to be the right thing to do. But then later on, we look back and we go, now, how could I have made sense? Why did I think that that was a good thing for me to do? Like, how did I, how was I so blind? How did I not see how this was going to end up? And it's oftentimes because we're just too close to the issue. The, the, the relationship, the emotions, they're just too strong. We can't see clearly. What we need is people who can stand on the outside and look more objectively and go, you know, I know that you can't see this right now and you're going to have to trust me, but this is going to end really, really badly. Have you thought about X, Y, and Z? Because I know that, that you're in the middle of this, but as I look from the outside, there seems to be some things that you're not seeing. So the way that we avoid making these kinds of decisions that we later regret is by having people around us who love us and are willing to speak truth into our lives and have a more objective perspective. Whenever I do premarital counseling, one of the questions that I ask them is, um, so what, are your, what does your family think about this relationship? Like, what do your parents think? What do your good friends think? And, uh, and sometimes I'll ask them, now, do you want my opinion? And it's almost always, no, I don't want your opinion. Um, but I ask them this because I go, look, you guys are like so close. You guys are in love. You guys are so emotionally connected. Uh, there may be some things that you're, that you're overlooking. So uh, you see this in movies, and maybe you had this in your own uh, wedding ceremony if you're married, is there's this moment in which the officiant gets up and says in front of this group of people, should anyone present know of any reason why this couple should not be married? Speak now or forever hold your peace. Now, in the movies, it's always like, I'm in love with them. And they're like, I'm in love with you too. And it's like, yeah. Okay, I've never seen that. I've done a lot of weddings. Never seen that. It'd be fantastic if I did though. <laughs> um... Because the reason why people attend weddings is because they're supposed to be friends and family who come together, and they are there, in their very presence is they're affirming that this relationship is a good thing, that these two should get married. Now, before we had all the ways to be able to keep in contact with one another, you may just arrive on the day of the wedding or just hear about it, and you're like, I know why they shouldn't get married, and I'm going to tell everybody, you know? And it's because the community is supposed to come and be wise counsel. We attend, we affirm, we think this relationship is good. Or if you don't, you better say something. See something, say something, okay? So it's all about having people who are around us, who can see the things that we don't see and speak into our lives. Okay, I'm going to have to fast forward here because... I thought I cut down my sermon last night. I got it, to be honest, it was a total mess. And... I thought I cut it down, but I'm not even anywhere close right now. We've got 10 minutes left. I think this Doyle went too long on communion, if we're being honest here. Um, yeah, I know. All right, let's go. We'll go, we'll go, to, the, we'll go to the end here. 
No, we won't. We'll just go with it. I don't care. I don't know what you're doing today, but <laughs> you're here. <laughs> I got you. That's right. I got you. <laughs> I paid him to do that. Uh, Proverbs 19:20 says this, listen to the advice and accept discipline in it, and at the end you will be counted among the wise. Proverbs 27, 6, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. See, what he says is, is you need this community around you because there are a lot of people who are going to be surrounded, these kind of nominal friendships that you have, and they're going to see this train that is coming towards your life, and everybody sees it. Everybody knows, oh my goodness, I, this is going to be such a disaster. Everybody get a seat. Let's watch what happens here. And they're going to go, good for you. Ah, oh, the relationship's awesome. I think this career is going to really work out for you. And they're all just watching this train come on by, smiling as it does. What he says is, what you really need is you need some people who see the train coming and go, okay, I got to step in and say something because this is not going to end well. I imagine if you had doctors that acted like some of our friends do. Like we go in there and there's clearly something wrong where they know if you don't stop drinking, you don't change your eating habits or your lifestyle, this is going to end really badly. But then they go, well, but I don't want to say anything because like they're not going to like me then. What if they don't want to come back? What if like, it, oh God, can you imagine delivering that kind of news? How awkward that's going to be? No, no, no. I'm going to tell them they're doing great and I'll see them in six months. Like we're not going to deal with this. No, you would never, you would say that is a horrible doctor. And yet when it comes to our friendships, we do the same thing. Why? You're not saving your friends by staying silent, saving them from anything. In fact, you're not giving them a heads up. All you're saving is yourself from having an awkward conversation and maybe having some tension in that relationship. He says, true friends, that they're going to speak up in truth and love. All right, I'm going to fast forward to the end here. Here's the problem. Is we talk about relationships being essential. And we talk about the value, and we can even talk about the theological background of why we have to be in relationships, because we're created in God's image, and it's, it's crucial for our survival, for our emotional health. But the problem is, is as I paint this picture of this community that we can be a part of, very few of us have ever experienced it before. Like when we enter into relationships or, or try to build a community, it just ends up messy, I can tell you so many horror stories of relationships that have ended poorly. And I think it's because we're, dra we're, we're dramatic. We are dramatic. Humanity is dramatic. Like, I think of us a little bit like, um, you know, beta fish, fighting fish? So my daughter, we wouldn't let her get a dog, so we'd let her get a fish. About the same thing. And uh, it's, a, it's one of those fighting fish. And we went on vacation recently. And we gave the fish to our uh, babysitter, and we said, hey, can you watch this fish while we're gone, um, take care of it all? It's kind of very important, you know? And she says, no problem, no problem. So we get back, first day back from vacation, she brings the fish, puts it on the table, and I'm walking out the front door, and I say to her and to Amy, that's not, and I don't even look at the fish. I, I don't even know the fish's name. And I go, that's not the same fish. That fish is totally different. I know the other fish. We're homies. And that fish, I don't know that fish. And she kind of looks at me like, <laughs> and I leave. And I come home from, from work, and she goes, uh, Cody and Amy, I need to confess something. I go, oh, yeah, what's up? You know, and she goes, that, uh, your, your daughter's fish died when you guys were out of town, and I just replaced that one, and I was hoping nobody would notice. And I was like, I didn't know. I, I was totally kidding. I don't, just 
don't tell her. It's fine. Don't tell her. No, we told her. And she laughed, actually. And then we watched a video of her flushing it down the toilet. I have a bunch of psychopaths in my house. So. (laughs) I think humanity is a little bit like those fish, though. We can't get along. We got to be on our own tanks most of the time. Like, maybe for a little bit we can get along, but like, have you ever seen relationships that go like a community? I've only seen it once. My grandparents, they had a community that was with them for 50 years. Have you ever seen that before? Very rare. It's kind of like when you put us together, it's just all drama. In fact, that's pretty much human history right there, is it has been one fight after another, nation, family, it doesn't matter. We've all just been in constant conflict. And so some of us, we just go, all right, maybe I'm a little cynical, but I'm just going to keep everybody at arm's length. I, I, arm's length. I, don't, I don't want the drama. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to let people get close to me. And so I'm just going to keep them out here. We've actually started to develop societies in which this is becoming, um, this is becoming pretty devastating to people's mental health as we have become so used to keeping people at arm's length or, or not even engaging in relationships. There's this thing called the epidemic of loneliness, it says uh, and some of the stats are that more than half of Americans feel that nobody knows them well. And young people, their number one fear, even over cancer and disease, is loneliness. 61% of young adults reported that they are feeling seriously lonely. And in Japan, there's this phenomenon called hikikomori. And it's, um, it's people who are young adults up to middle age, and about a million of them have not been outside of their homes for the last six months. There's an epidemic of loneliness, and maybe it's technology, maybe it's past hurts, maybe it's a bunch of those things, but it just seems like we know we need, we need relationships, and yet there is something that stands between us and having those relationships. Jesus comes along, and he affirms this need for relationships, and he starts living this out. He gets 12 disciples, and he has these three in his inner circle, and he starts talking about building this new community, and he says, we're going to build this new community here on earth. But the problem is that we are so broken, and we, every time we get together, it just ends in destruction, that there's no fixing you. Like, there's no self-help that's going to make this better. What we're going to have to do is we're going to have to be born again. He says, just this thing that's sin, it just is conflict constantly. And so what has to happen is if you're going to resolve the conflict between uh, people, you're going to first have to resolve the conflict between you and your Creator. So it says, you're going to be born again, you're going to be a new person, you're going to be reconciled with God, and it doesn't stop there. See, we're individualistic, and we think, okay, I'm reconciled with God, I'm made new, I'm forgiven of my sins, I can continue to go on. No, no, no. He says, this is a two-parter. You're reconciled with God, and then you're supposed to be reconciled with others. You're born into a new family. This new family is called the church. And as a part of being born again, you have to enter into and engage in this new family of God. He says, what's going to happen here is he's going to say that, um, that there's going to be a few things that is going to take place as we enter into this community. He says, well, first is there's going to be this, this guiding overall commandment. John 13, 34, he says, and now I give you a new commandment, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. He says, what's going to be different about this community then all the other communities, all the other nations, all the other families in the world is your top priority is going to be how do I love my community better? Not what do I get out of it? How much power? Where can I leverage? No, no, no. It's going to be about now how can I love these people better? And what's going to happen is as this community develops and as you continue to try to outdo one another in love, what's going to happen is this is going to show God's love to people outside of the community. 
and within the community. This is one of the reasons why we do uh, serve projects when we do Rooted, is because we want people to experience God's love through us. Our, we're going to be his hands and his feet. And so not only are we experiencing love in that community, but we're sharing it outside. It's also where God speaks to us. God uses four ways primarily to speak to us through his word, through prayer, through circumstances, and through people. See, we have to be engaged in all four of those things if we want to hear from God. Some of us, we want to come for an hour on Sunday. We're going to do some worship. We're going to go, God, you got 15 minutes to talk to me. If not, I'll see you next week. No, no, no. That's not how this works. We've got to be consistently engaged in those four things, which is why we have this program called Rooted, is because we do these four things over and over and over again. It's also a community that will be a witness to the rest of the world, is as the rest of the world is becoming more and more divided over politics, over worldview, over whatever, they're going to look at, or at least they're supposed to look at this community and say, now, they don't all agree on everything, but yet they continue to love one another. Like there's something about this community that although they have to go through some really difficult conversations and different, difficult circumstances, they seem to be able to hold together in unity and love one another. I don't know what they believe, and I'm not sure if I can believe what they believe, but I do want the community that they have. It's supposed to be a witness to the rest of the world. And so I want to really quickly end with this is there's a, there's a bunch of different rooted groups that have been going for years now. And so we like to highlight different ones just to kind of see, hey, here's what people are experiencing. And so this year we wanted to highlight uh, one group in specific and, and hear their story. So watch this. Well, we, Autumn and Shane had asked us to, to lead a rooted group and we were skeptical at first, but we're like, oh, we'll try it and see. We've been through it before. And our whole intent was wanting to be able to find a group of friends to do life with. And so uh, that's what we talked about from the beginning. And so having all of us having kids and whatnot was a, a great way for us to kind of start our group. Each one of us had also kind of said, we came to this group. It was like, why are you here? Why do you want to do Rooted? And we all said, we have been praying for a group to do life with. And we've been asking God, like, lead us to these friends that have the same like values as us, that wanna love the Lord, that love the Lord and wanna raise their kids in the Lord. And we all kind of said like, we've all been praying for this together. And it was kind of, it's been kind of cool that we found that to do a life with people. And one of the great things too about Rooted when they, when they talk about the layout and the structure is you're not going into an established group, someone that's been together for years. Uh, we walked in together and we're meeting everyone for the first time. And so that just helped with the relationships and the openness. Mm -hmm. I was texting Adam one night, and I said, hey, what do you think about getting baptized? And true to Adam, he was like, what do you, what do you, what do you got? What do you think? <laughs> Jack had been talking about, he'd been wanting to be baptized for a long time, but it, he just never felt like it was the right time. And I was kind of on the same, same page, and then uh, I said, great. And I said, let's call, uh, I can't baptize you. I haven't been baptized, so <laughs> <laughs> what's that look like? <clears throat> and then, uh, you know, uh, again with Adam, and he said, no, let's do it. Like, like, let's do it together. And it was the first time in my life where I, I'm like, yep, let's do it. We planned a camping trip, and the majority of us went uh, up north to a nice beachside camp spot and had the pleasure of Jake baptizing uh, Jack and I both in the Pacific Ocean. First, I was kind of like caught off guard, you know, you know I've been baptized and, and I never thought that I would be the one baptizing somebody else, you know. And like they said, then after I started thinking about it, I was like, this is a pretty incredible opportunity to do, to, to be able to grow with these guys and now be able to baptize them. We all were there and I, I remember the day, it was like, let's go do this. And 
So we get there and, and in it, the water, I mean, we all know, like we did the bolts, the water's cold, you have enough, but we were just freezing. Like, we were like, you were this squealing. We were, we were all just like, this you were is trying cold. To go we were like, this is the freezing. And then they're like, let's they go out there. And of course, I'm not the tallest guy in the group, so they keep walking out. I'm like, guys, I'm already like, you're like, you're like wasting, can we stop here? And then, uh, you know, but it was just such an incredible, like throughout the whole process, it was just such an incredible opportunity to get to do that, you know, to grow with these guys and now, be part of such an experience like that for him. Like I said, that's just what this group is about and what Root's about. You, you get to do those things, you get to do life, and you get to, to be part of people's experience that, that's life-changing. I, I need to feel like I'm not alone, and so to be able to know, like, I see faces on Sundays, and I get texts on a daily basis, and the kids get together for playdates, or they come to the bay, or we go to the park, or we have family dinners, or like just that sense of belonging was huge, and a belonging with people that have, like you had said earlier, like the same values and like foundation, and that has been like life changing for me to be able to have that for sure. It really helped amp my eagerness to participate, to want to learn, to want to be involved. Um, during Rooted, um, we both found the need to, you know, want to serve as well. So I joined the safety and security team, and she joined the kids group. Um, she's also helped with, with Rooted with children as well. Uh, but the group together, we kind of support each other and help each other grow. And if anybody needs help, we're there for each other. We would watch the previews in service about how Rooted changes your life. And I'm like, yeah, okay, it'll be another Bible study. We need to get plugged in. And literally, you have heard, it has changed every one of our lives. Like, I just blew it off. But if you're struggling to sign up, like, it will change your life, all aspects. It's worth it. Well, that's the kind of community we want you guys to experience because we're supposed to do this faith journey together. And, uh, and it's just cool being able to see these communities develop. I think, is the group back there? I think I see you guys, some of the group is back. Yeah, they even sit together. Look how cute that is. All right. So fun. Anyway, so get signed up. You can sign up online. You can sign up outside. If you have any questions, there's going to be some people out there that would love to uh, answer this. So if we can stand up together. Um, hey, the, uh, the service is a great part of the weekend, but there's more stuff that happens outside on the patio. We have ice cream, homemade ice cream this weekend. Uh, we have bounce houses. We have tons of activities. So go hang out and uh, have fun. God bless you guys. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. Or you can always join us live at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time. 